Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., This is a podcast from Minute Media. What feels different about this team this year? Um, I I think just, I mean, the guys that we brought in, um, front office, coaching staff, um, and then also players. um, You can just tell the professionalism um, that these guys bring on an everyday basis. um, Just, just... Um, just the way they come in and just work, um, and I feel like Buck is, is he's big on, on the little details, and that's something that in the past we haven't done and haven't really focused on, so I think focusing on all these little details is going to really pay off in the long run of the season, and he's actually teaching so much, and we're learning on an everyday basis, which, like I said, is something a little bit different about that, so. Um, any, any example that stands out to you? For, I know he's done so much. We hear about Buck's attention to detail. What, what one example that, that stands out to you? I mean, we're we're in the we're in the room, uh, the conference room early, um, learning about rules, um, learning about ground rules and different plays that happen in a game, um, which we don't really understand and, and uh, know about. So, just like I said, the little details, learning the rules about the game is, is something that we haven't done in the past and something that's going to help us in the future. He always preaches if we're smarter than our competition, we'll have the upper hand. So that's what we're trying to do.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 27th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And of course, I want to welcome in our good friends over at the fan-sided podcasting network and the good folks over at risingapple.com. And with that, taking a little different approach, you guys always hear from me every week and we do have guests, but I wanted to go the co-host route and I went into the well, you've heard from him before. You probably subscribed to his content. And if you haven't, you should, it's our good friend, Anthony Rivera. You can go get him over at subway to shape podcast at subway to Shay on Twitter. And uh, Subway to Shea, he's uh, on Anchor FM and uh, part of the Rising Apple fan-sided network team. And Anthony, uh, how are you? Good to see you. And you're a little celebrity. I'll tease it out there. If you go to Anthony's uh, Twitter feed, he was on New York One. Now, you did like a half an hour probably interview, but they got you the 10 seconds of fame. You're on national TV. And I could see you, not that the fans here on the podcast can see, I could see you. And I'm saying to myself, good Lord, I'd be worried about my hair. I'd be worried about what zits I have on my face. But you handled it like a champ. So welcome into the program. And it's nice to have a New York One celebrity here co-hosting for the next uh, hour or so. Yeah, I made sure I got as much as I could out of the 10 minutes. And I got <laughs> I got that like 30 seconds, that clip that they took. But, you know, I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can. So any uh, celebrity. Did you see a pop? I've always wondered because sometimes people say, oh, you had this guest on and you were on this thing. You must have got this wave of of uh, publicity. I'm like, when you're doing something and trying to grow organically, it is the stupidest things that grow your 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 project. It's the most innocuous thing that you would never think grew it winds up growing it. And there you go. You know what I'm saying? So interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I could take I'll take these, you know, the follows and all that stuff any way I can. Um, You know, some of the tweets that I post out there, I'll, I could get like 300, you know, likes and, and I'll get some follows out of that. And I, I try to interact with as many people as possible on Twitter. I'm I'm always on, you know, social media, Twitter. I, I try doing Instagram, too, but that, that's a whole lot harder. And that's a to, whole lot harder. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do what I can. But most of my interaction and, and if people who listen to your show listen to mine as well, they know that I'm constantly tweeting out. I'll, I'll start conversations and I try to get as much as I can because we're a community, not yep. only us content creators, but all sure. Met fans. We may agree. We may disagree. But we're all Met fans at the end of the day. So I, I just love getting different uh, opposing views. I love getting people who agree with me. So I do whatever I can just to start a conversation and get, you know, Met fans thinking. Absolutely. And I think we're in one of these different eras. I remember when I started doing radio in 2007 with a traditional, you know, radio format, brokered time most of the time, and then had a chance to do some local affiliate that was short lived. But there was so many Mets blogs, so many blogs uh, at that time. And obviously, time tests the fortuitiveness of people doing what really is a daily grind. And, and essentially, the, the major sites figured out, well, let's take what's good out of the blogs. Let's eliminate what's bad and, and really choked everybody out. And you had a select few. Now, you know, with the podcasting and traditional radio kind of going through a transformation, uh, I see that 
over the last few years, it was me and maybe a couple others. We see others popping up. But I think you're in this era where people now are open to if it's good, it's well produced. And yours is, of course, I've been on that show. Uh, they'll have multiple Mets content that they'll listen to, not just the, you know, uh, was it Josh Lewin does a great daily Mets podcast. Good stuff. But that's more of a news type of podcast. They want opinion guests. And really, I think the biggest thing is opinion. And that's why I brought you in, because, uh, as I said, people listen to me all the time. And I figured, you know, the topics that are, you know, we're still it's funny. We're in early in spring training, but we're not. It's getting late early. That's the way I would say, because of the truncated spring training. And some of the observations I've laid out there. Now we've had a chance over about a week to watch some games, listen to the players. It's always 100% positive, usually in spring training. If you don't win the press conference and you don't come out of spring training feeling good, it's a long season, a real long season. Um, But you and I off the air before we get on, it talked about a comment that Dom Smith had made. We let in with that comment coming into this. And really the vibe of the team seems different. Now, I felt the vibe of the team was better really ever since they got rid of Terry Collins and Mickey, Mickey Calloway came in and then Luis Rojas and all that other stuff, I felt things were going in the right direction. But there's a difference, I think, that the players, you don't just think they're saying it uh, just to say it to Steve Gelbs or to the media. Uh, you think that they really feel it. And and you and I talked about that off the air. So I'm curious, what is your early reaction to the new kind of energy that I, and I've talked to some people that are down there that have been covering the team, they feel there's a new energy level to this club. Yeah, definitely. I think it all started, I mean, it had to have all started once Steve Cohen bought this team. Good vibes weren't going to come under the Will Pond regime. We all know that. We've been through it uh, for so long. And to have that first step with Steve Cohen taking over, everyone thought it was going to happen right away. But obviously, and someone made this comment on my Twitter, and I retweeted them about... um how you know he had to sit back, observe, see what worked, what didn't, before he started making all these big moves, in which what he did last season was he took what they had, they worked at what didn't work, what worked, they got rid of what didn't work, and now they've moved on. Uh, obviously, they needed a manager just like Buck Walter to come in here and just infuse – life back into this team and that's what buck does i mean you see him in the press conferences totally different type of person than what we got from uh luis rojas and i know from listening to your podcast you were a little you know less bullish on luis rojas and you know i, you know, I know you didn't like terry collins i i just feel like this is what the mets need right now they need this kind of person leading the team and, and like Dom said, it's you can tell all these changes that are happening right. around the team. And then you infuse Max Scherzer, who's who's a leader of his own. He could he could quite possibly be a manager of his own one day. And, and you have Mark Canna, and you have Eduardo Escobar, who you know very I feel like is going to be the underrated signing of the season. On top of that, you put Starling Marte, and if you watched the game on uh, Sunday against the Cardinals, you saw the whole base pass and him. You know, watching everyone on the field, every pitch, he's watching to seeing where everyone's shifting around the field, where everyone is moving. And he scored easily on a blue pit, which in last year, I don't feel Awful. like the Mets score on that. So, so the last year, I think the final number was 
They only scored 47% of the time on, on uh, base hits and runners in scoring position. Now, I'm a slow guy. I'm not a, you know, I'm five foot five, five foot six, about 175 pounds. So I'm not in terrible shape, but I'm no athlete. Let's put it this way. There were times I'd see hits and I'm no big leaguer. I'm like, if I could score on that, even Thomas Nito, maybe not James McCann, but Thomas Nito should be able to score on that. Uh, you know, Jonathan VR, Kevin Parr, and they, that didn't happen. But I agree with you. I think there's this, and I've always used the analogy and the best analogy I could get is that Buck is this, uh, and he's gotten a lot of credit from just recently, even Jimmy Leland talked about what a great manager he is. Maybe he hasn't won championships and maybe he hasn't have the uh, style, but I always say like how Pat Riley came into that Knicks team and then the heat later on and changed right away teams that had some talent but had, you know, missing something culturally, an overused term in the media, by the way, because there's one thing to say culture. There's another thing to actually see it transform, um, not just through winning. How he came in and instilled discipline, hard work, attention, detail, very basic tenets, very basic principles. And I see a lot of what Buck is trying to do here. Now, I liked what I liked about Louis Rojas is I thought he was a, a, the old baseball gym rat. He was a gamer. He talked technical on there. Uh, but he didn't look comfortable up there and he was learning. And my thing was bring someone in young, let them grow with the team, let them go through the process. And then you have your guy for 10, 12 years, just like Ron Gardner in Minnesota. This is a difficult organization to do that in a difficult time. New owner, yeah. team across town, a lot of uh, competition for your entertainment dollars. So much negative off the field stuff, not just the Will Ponds. We don't have to go through it. For the first time, I felt. The beautiful thing about the whole, whether you like the vaccine mandate or not, the fact that it's not an issue is, Anthony, I said, here we go again. We're getting pulled away from baseball. So forget about the what's right, what's wrong. I'm not going to get into that. That's not what the purpose of the show is. But think about it. Even that went well. Pete Alonso gets into a wreck, a car accident. That, you know, maybe the baseball gods, I hate to make light of it. Maybe the baseball gods finally with all this stuff going on, maybe it's going the right way. And it starts with the energy and the vibe. I know these are non-analytic non-scientific things but guess what there's a value to guys coming in and say yeah I, I, i'm ready to put the work in i'm ready to take that extra attention to detail i mean they're even going over the the grounds rules i mean that's nothing i've heard ever before because guess what you and i watch a game and we think we're pretty good baseball guys there are things that happen do you know all the rules i bet you you and i would fail i'll tell you why my dad used to be a, uh, a high school referee and he took the test and was certified he gave me the the, the test one time i'm a basketball fan I was like, ah, because it's every nuance. Yep. So think about it. if you did a umpiring test, how many players would fail it? Probably a lot. And that's where they're at. And that's the kind of stuff you're seeing with the Buck Showalter out there. Yeah. And they switched to rules like within the last couple of weeks. So now we're going to get a ghost runner again. I thought that was gone. It's back now. And then, you know, they're going to have 28 men roster instead of 26. Everything changes sometimes within the season. Uh, they're instituting new things, and they're going to try to test stuff in the minor leagues. So it's not all the same, even from the minor leagues on up. I mean, they have robo-umps down here, there. They don't have it up here yet, but they're trying all these different things and instituting all these new rules, and, and the game is changing, and they want you to know more of the analytics side, and it's less of the you know the fun baseball on the field stuff and, and the feeling that you get when you're playing on the field. It's less that and more uh, structure, structural, and, and sometimes that works. Sometimes that it doesn't work. It didn't work last year for Louis Rojas. I, I think he gets a bad rap. Also, you know, this team. I think if 
you know, the Will Ponds or whoever was in charge when they hired him may have said, hey, you know what? We are building something here and we want to build it with Luis Rojas. Kind of like what the Rangers did. You know, they were coming off of the Stanley Cup finals and, and they were coming off of going to the playoffs so many times. And then ownership said, hey, we're rebuilding again. Obviously, it's really hard in New York to say that. You mentioned it earlier. Yankees won't ever be able to say it. I'm sure the Mets won't be able to say it. But, like, that's the kind of manager Luis Rojas is. He would have to be rebuilding this team into what his liking was. And he didn't really get that opportunity. You know, they had the analytics people on him, and they had the iPads, and they had all this stuff that they were trying to put in, and the players are getting messed up with their hitting. It affected Jeff McNeil. It affected – everything was affected by this whole analysis. And now, you know, Steve Cohen sat back, watched it, Yes, we need the uh, analytics, but we also need a, you know, a field general to run this team and show that, yes, baseball is still, you know, our favorite pastime and, and it should be your, your favorite game to be playing. Yeah, I mean, the thing about I never understood about the manager is, well, you could put anybody in there. They're an extension of the front office. I think a lot of people don't realize that if you didn't learn it before, you should learn it now after the collective bargaining whole situation. Players don't necessarily trust the front office. Players have been lied to. Players, I mean, I, I've heard stories you know, going back to, you know, back in the day, uh, guys that I've talked to that are long retired from the 80s and 90s that were told ridiculous things upon getting sent down. Really ridiculous things. And, and, and really, you have to remember, there's, they're that buffer. The manager's that buffer. Then there's the buffer for the manager, the buffer, the buffer. That's the bench coaches and whatnot. So to think that you could seamlessly integrate all these guys um, is, is patently absurd. But I think what has really happened with the Mets, and you saw it on the good side and the flip side, because early in the year, they were winning a lot of one-run games. And then in August, it's not like when they collapsed down in August, they got blown out. They couldn't hit. We know that they couldn't hit, but it was a lot of little things that didn't go right. And there was a fine line. Look at the Cardinals. I was looking at their, them today. They went 17 in a row late in the year. They wind up winning 90 games. Think about all that went right. They played the Mets in that stretch and they won an extra inning game in that stretch. You go slightly above 500. You go from 90 wins to 82, 83 wins. And they're not even in the playoff discussion. And they nearly beat the Dodgers in a playing game. So it's these small incremental things. And then you talk about, and look, we've only been able to watch a couple of the spring training games against less than complete rosters. But you mentioned it, Starling Marte out there, first game scoring, really reading a base hit that um, may have been with Harrison Bader in center field, something that could have been caught. Last yesterday, Mark Canna uh, taking an aggressive approach. And I've heard that Joey Core, the one thing we heard about Joey Core from Pittsburgh, he's an aggressive third base coach. So let's see how, that plays out as we get into the season. But that was a small thing throughout the season. The Mets were less than 50% of the time scoring on base hits or runners in scoring position. That's absurd. I, I never, and there were times I was like, what? He didn't score? So I think a lot of these little things, the attention to detail, um, not that I think Buck is going to be this old school Bear Bryant type. I could, you know, like yesterday, people were commenting that Lindor was eating uh, a sandwich in the dugout on his day off. You know, the old school guys, they probably would, you know, cringe at that but he's gonna go after the right things you know the right things that make sense and um you know just because he's not from the analytics generation i mean there's a guy that was using whatever analytics would be considered from 1995 
or even before that with positioning and things like that, just on a simple pen and paper. So I think you and I are both in agreement, the change in leadership, um, although we've had this feeling before, and maybe you and I would have these conversations a year ago, um, I think now you see a next level on this. It's It was always improving. I think it's been improved, but now it's next level, and I think we should feel good about it. Yeah, and I, I don't buy the Buck was not analytics guy. I mean, he even explained it during his press conference. His wife was sitting there. He was writing out all the you know the notes and, and all the stats and all that stuff. She was there helping him. That was a form mm-hmm. of analytics back then. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it's evolved, and, and but Buck is a student of the game. And he's always been if you you sent me that uh, I think it was the MLB story uh, they had uh, on uh, MLB Network. It was his life, Buck Showalter's life. I mean, you think that he just what he's just going to sit out for three years, not to mention he's on TV. So he has to know all this stuff and and he's not going to know any of that. I, I, I can't buy it. I think what's big here with Showalter and what I think uh, this is what hurt. I think Luis Rojas, he came into a team with, I think he came in a week or two before they went into spring training as the manager. That's, that's after Beltran got canned. After that Beltran, was a, they had a hard, what? One situation week, coming. Yeah. One week or two days. weeks before the pandemic yep. starts. So he mm-hmm. really doesn't get to, you know, the feeling of the team. So then they had right. the shortened thing with all these new rules. Then you come back to 2021, kind of similar stuff. And, and he, it's him learning really on the job for the first year. You go fast forward to now, right? You bring in Buck Showalter. While we have a lockout going on and a shortened spring training, I don't think that works for a Mark, Matt Catraro or Joe Espada because if those two mess up within the first month of the season, people will want them fired. I think Buck gives the yep. leeway of that, but he's also good enough to you know handle the media during that time, take care of business with his players. I, I just wouldn't have seen that working with any of the other options that they had available. I think he's the right guy at the right, right time. And the communication, you're always watching him. He's talking to guys going around the the complex. And I think going back to the whole Lindor uh, McNeil situation, a lot of what was implemented last year, which was from an authoritarian standpoint, command and control Look, the analytics department wants this. And I was like against the shifting early in the year, but then I, I, I saw the value of it, obviously, um, I think a lot of players, specifically a guy like uh, Aaron Loop, uh, when you look at his uh, FIP, definitely benefited from it because there's plenty of times to be a ground ball that looked like it would be a base hit. There's a, the shortstop right on second, you know, double play inning over. So there was value to it. But understanding how these guys tick, understanding what's important to them, I think that's where Buck will, will really make a difference because not every manager communicates or knows how to communicate or can authentically communicate. If you think it's just about filling up the lineup card, you're wrong. Now, while we talk about uh, uh, all this, who are some of the guys early on that are standing out to you? I have I want to hear yours first. I have one guy in particular, and I like my guy is an offensive guy. I like his approach, and I think in general it it makes me feel better about this team offensively because they were uh, utterly uh, embarrassing is the word I would say last year. They underperformed in a level when the Pirates are you're hanging out in the neighborhood of the Pirates who lost 101 games offensively. There are problems. So before I give you mine, give me some players or a player that you've been surprised about or maybe that are standing out. Maybe they're they're rising to the top as you uh, look at these early spring training games. Uh, I think Eduardo Escobar is one of them. I don't think 
we fully understand how important his role is going to be on this team, um, playing third base and what he could do. He can hit for power. He can hit for a little bit of average. And I think what we're going to get from him in scoring runs, because he's what uh, he's hit 30, 90. I think he's had a hundred RBIs at one point in, in his career. I think he will be very important in the middle part of that lineup or towards, you know, the lower half of the lineup where the Mets struggled very much. I mean, they had to throw McNeil down there. He wasn't hitting James McCann. You're going to get what you're going to get from James McCann. And, and a lot of the times it may be a ground ball double play, which we got a lot of earlier on in the season, but Escobar kind of splitting that up and, and, and adding to, the new look of that offense with the rest of the new players that they got. Cause I, I think all three of them are could contribute not only on the field, but more in a leadership role too. I, I don't think that has been talked about enough about those guys that they brought in of, of their, you know, leadership value. Mark Canna is very, you know, outspoken and he, you know, he, he's a very rah, rah type guy. Uh, Escobar, you know, he, he's very leadership oriented. Um, another player, and I wrote about this on the uh, on on Rising Apple. Uh, I think yesterday I, I got posted out. But y- y- you got to think about the bench. Uh, Travis Jankowski, I think uh, you know he might not be hitting crazy right now, but the Mets need a fourth outfielder who can play defense, who can provide speed, and we saw his defense on display so far this spring. They need someone in between that Kevin Pillar. Albert Albert Almora Jr. type player, not the way he hit last year, but they need that kind of guy to help out because if you're telling me that we're going to rely on J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, and Jeff McNeil to play on the off days when the other three can't play in the outfield, that doesn't sit comfortable with me. I I need someone to come in late innings and be that defender. We're going to have a bullpen that I I don't have 100% trust in just yet so neither do i you're gonna have to have these guys who are gonna play good defense good defense masks a lot of the pitching problems if done correctly Uh, well i think i think last year you saw that with the way that the shift worked out the mets Mm -hmm. saved i think they were top five and run saved i definitely think that helped pitchers i think loop is a guy that We'll see out in Anaheim what goes on. You mentioned Escobar, and you even mentioned Canna. And Canna's the guy that stood out to me, and I know it's one game. First, you got that good approach where at the top of the lineup now, you have Nimmo, potentially Canna, if they bat him second. They're going to see a lot of pitches. They're going to run a lot of 3-2 counts. They're going to work those those starters. Uh, uh, an old-school idea, but there's good work in the count, and then there's bad. I think that these guys are professional enough where they know what they're doing. They'll get aggressive when they have to, and they'll run the count to three and two uh, if it's if it's appropriate. But what I liked about him was his ability to go the other way, and he did a lot of that yesterday. And I think that's another – you want to have an offense that is not just uh, uh, lunge, launch and lunge, launch and lunge and launch, launch and lunge, launch and lunge, that kind of thing. And I think to a certain degree, and I like Kevin Pillar and I, I like Jonathan Villar, but those guys were launch and lunge type of guys, pull guys that – you know, you knew what you were going to get. You knew what kind of hitters you were going to get over there. So Canada, me, is a guy um, that, you know, stands out. I think the other thing, and this is not about one person, but the thing that you're reading, and you saw it a little bit today with Scherzer, 
the guys they brought in, Bassett, Scherzer, Canna, um, a competitive, give me the ball. I mean, look at Scherzer. Here it is spring training. Look, I know he's got to get his work in, but he didn't have to finish this game today. You could have said, you know what? Give me my 50, 55 pitches. I'll be ready for opening day. But know what he says? I'll finish this game up. And he did. And he did. And it's a meaningless game. You and I won't remember this within 48 hours. We'll forget about it. By come <laughs> opening day, it won't even. And then come end of the season, you're really going to really be thinking about it? No. But that kind of mindset changes things. That's the kind of things. You know, leadership and chemistry in the clubhouse is not about all of them going out and getting a beer after the game. Now, yeah, there's benefits to them hanging out, talking baseball, liking each other, the cookie club, all this fun stuff that you hear. Great. I'm not saying anything's wrong. But what real leadership is, is guys on the bench saying, well, if he can do that, if Max Scherzer could do that, there is no excuse for the other guys not to do that. Because when the star does it and leadership by example, sometimes, and you need that vocal rah-rah, you need people to be vocal. But that guy who goes out there and says, this is how I do it. And if you have professionals on your team, they'll piggyback on that. And if they're not, then you know who you need to get out. So I think Ken is one guy. I think in general, the word competitive, when you hear about Bassett and all these guys, that's going to really rub off on the McGills and the Petersons and, and even some of the younger guys that have been around a while, like Pete Alonzo and McNeil, who probably have seen a lot of craziness in just a few short seasons. And you wonder, you know, can this bring them to even greater heights? It's like I always wonder back in the early 90s when Ryan Thompson and Jeff Kent came up with those awful Mets teams, had awful examples around them. And I think Ryan Thompson was actually on a podcast talking about it. When you're around that negativity, that hurts your development. Sure enough, Jeff Kent goes elsewhere and he becomes a star. Now, I don't know if that's 100% just the guys in that bad team's locker room. Could have been the environment, the market, other things. But that's what you want, good veterans around. And I know that this is stuff that doesn't get talked about. And I know people kind of sneer at it and say, you know, how do you guys know it's voodoo? It's not. I've talked to enough players. It's not. So to me, that's what I feel. I feel the competitiveness that's on this team that can help push them through tough times. And there is going to be tough times because last year when things got tough, the team got tight and the team shredded against that backdrop. And that was my most disappointing thing. I think Louis Rojas tried to keep it cool which is a good thing. You want to be balanced, right? You don't want, you can't react like the fans of the media do, but there was nobody to push them through it. And a manager really can't do that. It's really got to be the players that push them through it. You could scream and yell and, and cajole and challenge and, and give Newt Rockney speeches, but ultimately it's about the players. And, and to me, that's what I see. I see that, that competitiveness at a high level that this team really needs to compete and win at a high level. Yeah. With all the injuries that, they suffered last year and it really was a trickle down. It affected so much losing all the starting pitchers in the first half meant that the bullpen had a lot more work to do, which tired them out for the second half. And that's why they struggled so much offense, not hitting all these guys hurt losing McNeil for a while, losing um, Comforto for a while. And then, you know, uh, Brandon Nimmo, Lindor, they come back more institution on these analytics because they got rid of Chili Davis and they brought in Hugh Quattlebaum, so things changed. Uh, it, it so much affected them last year. They really needed that one guy, maybe, like like you mentioned Scherzer. They needed that one guy to you know pitch a couple of, I guess, shutouts or something. Or they, they, they needed DeGrom back to, yep. you know, once that he was went down and was out, kind of, and, and maybe they knew. Maybe they knew DeGrom was done for half a season, but maybe they kept it quiet because if they say that he's out, 
maybe that affects the team so much to the fact where, hey, you know, we're just kind of out of it now. They, they yep. didn't have a guy to get them ready, get them focused and pumped up to continue for the rest of the season. Javi Baez kind of infused that a little bit towards the end. That was from an energy perspective. Yeah. That, Javi was like a, he was like a Red Bull. You know, you get a Red Bull. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to work. Oh, and then I get the fade six hours later. Red Bull's not sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. you needed some, and, and Javi gave you that, and then you saw the good and the bad there. Guy, I thought that they really, I would have liked to see them bring back, but I think that they went a different direction. They built it on, on the pitching. What's interesting is we talk about Scherzer and his competitiveness, but it's also the yin and the yang of what you're bringing in. I just saw a quote that uh, Max Scherzer had said that one of the things, this is, I believe, after today's game, uh, one of the things that he's learned from DeGrom, and that's because they both pitched today, they're trying to talk about how you know each of these guys could feed off of each other. Because let's make no mistake about it. I said this last week. This team is built on these two guys. These guys have to be who we think they are for this team to go somewhere. I'm not saying that that you know if they go on the, a two-week uh, DL stint, which could happen because it's happened to both, that they're done. But we need, you know, the Mets need them to be good. They need no, to be yeah, good. Yeah. They need to be healthy come October because this, right. this is the bedrock. This is the one-two. This is what the – when they get into the tournament, this is what they're relying on. But the Grom helping Scherzer talk to the media. Now, if you watch the Grom, he's very low-key with the media, humor. Buck Showalter, I think, has done something that no Mets manager has done. Terry Collins did do it, you know, but I think a lot of it was phony where he tried to, you know, be folksy with the media. But he – you could get Terry round up and get tight pretty quick. It was easy, you know, when he would get – when he'd blow up. And it's easy again. I'm going to preface it by saying when you're in Port St. Lucie and talking about some voodoo alcohol drink and making everybody laugh and Bucks non sequiturs about St. Peter's college basketball, that's all cool. You're on a six game losing streak in August. Not so cool, especially if you make a bad bullpen uh, move. But he's around enough to know I can't be adversarial with these guys. I also can't be gym rat with these guys. They need copy. It goes back to the old days of sports when, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but in the 80s and 90s, even to a certain degree, turn of the century before things became much more corporate and process oriented, uh, there was a certain amount of soap opera in sports. Some of it bad, but some of it good, where that was like, you know, people always say sports is the male soap opera. And there would be quotes and, and days of our lives and character, maybe the word character instead of controversy. And that's all been replaced by corporate type of behavior. And Buck knows that you could do both. And if you don't give these guys something to write about and feel good about, they're going to find something negative to write about. And then it's going to cause these narratives to come out there and spiral. And potentially those are the old peripheral enemies that uh, coaches always worry about. We've seen it with uh, you know Tom Thibodeau talked about this this week. Uh, you know, Nick's coach about social media and the negativity, because we know the media, the fans, people that are like us who do this, who are kind of in the, in the middle here, we don't have access to everything. Even if you're in the clubhouse, you don't have access to the film, the video, the discussions would love to be a fly on the wall, but we have a job to do and an opinion to do. And we can only work with the information we have. The better that these guys are providing the masses with something. And sometimes that is making them feel good about themselves. The easier their job will be It's a little bit of salesmanship here. And I think Buck's yeah. got it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he definitely does. And you know, even I last year, I was like, I, I don't think I can listen to much more of, you know, he's trying to be even keel, but it's the, we're getting the same answer from Louie, uh, the same answers he would be giving over and over. 
This team's going to overcome. This team's going to do this. And I know, you know, it, it's like the generic answer. I, I think it's going to be different with Buck. I, he always has something to say. He's never uh, been one to stay quiet. He's done this before in this town already. And that was in the beginning of his career. That was his first managerial job. So he had to learn that real quick. And obviously he went to, you know, Arizona and Texas and Baltimore. So he's got a little bit of everything going around. I think he'll be able to handle the media fine. I look forward to seeing his press conferences, even after the games, even after they lose. I'd like to see what he's, you know, if he gets, I don't think he's one to get angry. I I don't know if I've ever seen him. uh, No, I I, I don't know enough. Right. I don't know enough. Um, I think he's very self-aware. You know, when they went through the job, the job search for the manager after the 2019 season, I said at the time they have to hire somebody experienced and Buck was on that list, but he was, I didn't really, he was one of the guys I kind of threw out there, but the guy was Joe Girardi. And I said, been in New York. Uh, You know, he's got that Yankee pedigree. The media knows him. He's recent to New York. He's got that intensity that I like. You know, again, I'm an old school Pat Riley guy. I mean, that's my foundation. Uh, you know, that's who I am. And by the way, if you're listening, watch uh, the, the the HBO on the Lakers. It's great. I've watched like three. I don't know. Have you watched it yet? I have not I'm seen it yet. Buck, I got to watch I'm it. I'm doing a buck shoulder non sequitur. So I'm going to tell you, watch it. But I thought Girardi was a guy uh, that was perfect. And when they didn't go that right, I said, okay, thinking out of the box. Beltron knows New York player has been every type of version of the player that you could get the rookie who didn't know how to speak English, the struggles in New York, the superstar hall of famer. So I go, he could connect with anybody on that roster. And then we know what happened there. And at that point you got to throw, okay, throw in the guy that you think has potential, the jewel of a manager that one day could be your star manager. Let's develop it. Let's see it happen. And um, it wasn't the right time for that. I think now you have the veteran manager and my real hope is if Buck is going to be here four or five years, and that is the hope we all knock on some Mets wood bat wood here. Who, who can they develop? Cause he's talked about, if you listen to uh, or read some of the articles about going up and down the minor league system and making winning important again, I never understood. Well, let's just do a laboratory in sim games as you go through the process. And yes, minor leaguers should be treated better. You shouldn't have to live on 150 bucks a month and starve and, and hitchhike to work. I don't think that that's good working conditions. However, the struggle, the ability to go out there and fail, uh, play a day game after a night game, deal with travel, deal with big crowds, deal with no crowds. I think there's so much of that that builds character um, and then reemphasizing winning and team building while not compromising a player's health i.e. pitchers and pitch counts, can be done. And they're talking about that. So how can they go up and down the organization and how can they build the pipeline so that when Buck decides to retire, if he ever wants to stop working, I'm sure he definitely wants to enjoy life, you're not sitting there going, okay, who can we pluck from someone else's organization? You've got this pipeline. And, and, and that's what I hope this is the beginning of. This is what I've wanted for so long. And the Mets have not had that. Think about it. Davey Johnson came in as an outsider, but he quickly was their combination of Buck and Luis Ross because he evolved and developed a lot quicker than Rojas. And then after that, the Mets never were had, they thought they had that in Buddy Harrelson, but they didn't. They never really built the next coming. And then you got Bobby V, who was, again, the right fit um, and did come from the organization, albeit many years before, but they haven't had that since. It's been one bad mistake after another. And let's face it, Terry Collins was a seven-year caretaker who got to the World Series. 
you know, it really, it was vanilla. So now you have a chance to really move forward for the first time, maybe since Gil Hodges, where you had that guy that could grow up with the team. And, and think about how long they've never had that. They've never had that consistency in the dugout where you can say maybe Buck could bring that. Yeah, unfortunately for uh, Bobby V, and I got to interview him about a couple months ago uh, about his book, and he talks about, you know, managing the Mets through, you know, having to deal with ownership and the front office with Steve Phillips. And it, it was never, it, it never really felt that they had his back. You nope. go to Buck Showalter right now, and it, it kind of feels like, you know, Steve has his back. Billy Epler, you know, wanted him. He has his back. So it definitely feels like they are working together, obviously bringing the, all these coaches in. You know, you had the, the Joey Coras and the Wayne Kirbys, who I think all, but all of them have been with Buck Showalter. But then you bring in an Eric Chavez, that's, that's a Billy guy, you know, and, and they're yep. working to put things together. The one that You're always going to have front office guys on the coaching staff. That's been yeah. the time. But there shouldn't be. You're right. There was an adversarial Phillips v. Bobby v. Mm-hmm. approach two paranoid guys that were surviving let's face it paranoid yeah. guys in, in, a, in a lot of ways and i think that you make that great point not to drop but i thought what billy epler who was not on anybody's radar okay not the hot shot ivy league young not david stern right uh david stearns i should say <laughs> david stern was the nba uh, commissioner um billy epler is a guy that may wind up being perfect for the job because he has again the new york pedigree from, you know, Cashman all the way back. And is what you think about the Yankees and what they've become and what people think about Brian Cashman and what they've become. They uh, were able to, under Cashman, when Epler was there, rankle the organization away from George Steinbrenner's Tampa faction, which was all about spend and the old school way of thinking, and build a pipeline of young players. Now, it didn't work out. Those young players didn't get them a championship, but they built it. And they're able to consistently make the postseason with top-notch payroll, but also they developed a pipeline of young players. I'm talking even after. Now, maybe they were a bit overrated, and I think there's a lot of marketing that happens. But Epler was part of that. He's seen how New York is, and he's seen how hard it is to win. And even on his first press conference, he said, you know, what do you have, a 15%? Remember, the quote will always stick with me. You have about a, The best teams have about a 15% chance maybe a 17% chance of winning the World Series. Think about that, Anthony. If I told you today, you get in that car and you go to the store, but you only have a 17% chance of getting back without an accident, would you get in that car? Probably not. Probably say this is crazy. I'm going to stay home. But every year, the best team gets in that car and is expected to win a championship. And when you come home as a failure, and if you look at the Yankees throughout their history, 27 World Series, they've lost far more than they've won. They've just been less. There's less failure in there than, than other teams like the Mets and, and what have you. So I think having that kind of guy come in, understanding the market was something that I knew because he never was somebody on my radar. And maybe yeah, it turns think, out he's the right move. Yeah, I think Billy is the blessing in disguise that we didn't think was going to happen. Obviously, we heard, heard all the names that were out there. And to be honest, Billy, you know, although they didn't win in Anaheim, his resume working from the Yankees, going to Anaheim and doing what he could under Artie Moreno, who, right. you know, is a, is enough to deal with to begin with. Sure. You know, sure, obviously absolutely. he got the, the trout contract. He got Shoyatani here. I think he brought in Rendon. You know, he did some things with Anaheim. It just 
it didn't work out. They they never got pitching. They never, you know, they never put it all together. And you have Steve Cohen who is going to do what it takes to win. I, I don't know if Artie Moreno is that type of guy. He thinks well, he at is. At least now, yeah. No, I think he, he is with instructions. I think Steve Cohen is at another level. Now, interesting you brought up Janikowski because I want to get – and we are going to take a break because I know we're going to go through and I, I want to get into – whether or not the Mets have another big move in them, you know, that is, that's the interesting thing, you know, and I, and I think there's an interesting debate to be had here, but we'll start it out here with, cause uh, Anthony wrote a, a great piece over at rising apple about Janikowski, a Stony Brook guy. I am a stone's throw from Stony Brook college. So every time Janikowski, I would love him to make the team. Cause every time he gets up, I can imagine him eating at the same deli eight years ago that I eat at and going to the same pizza place. And, you know, I think having a New York flair to the roster helps, because they understand the market, um, you know, albeit he was there for college. So um, here's my initial, and I think the 28-man roster, I had this conversation on the podcast last week, and, you know, there was some tough decisions they were going to have to make to pare this down to 26, because there's a couple of pitchers that I think have value, and pitching depth is, as you saw last year, Anthony, is important. So two guys at options are Reed Foley, and I believe Trevor Williams, you have to give, yes, give permission to be sent down even though he has an option because he's been in the league more than five years so those two guys i believe unless there's a health issue or something you and i aren't seeing are going to make the roster and now with the 28 man roster there's some flexibility so even with that um i would see the mets potentially going out there and carrying 15 out of the 28 spots as pitchers because it gives you time to assess Claudio and Shreve for that other lefty position. I'm assuming that they're going to want to bring both Reed Foley and Trevor Williams north because you don't want to lose them through waivers. Might be easy to sneak them through after spring training is over and you're at the end of April, depending on how long the 28-man roster is. I'm thinking that Drew Smith is good enough, even though he has options, should be out of that bullpen. Maybe they don't agree. And whether it's... Taiwan Walker or McGill or something like that. I don't think they bring a McGill or a Peterson up to come out of the bullpen. I think they only come up if Walker can't make his first start. That really doesn't leave a spot for Janikowski. And it also then brings the light to what you said earlier in this program, the clumsiness of maybe the roster, because you have a couple of guys who I like, Dom Smith and J.D. Davis, who at times have performed like elite top 15 hitters. I mean, Dom was a top 10 hitter in the pandemic season. J.D. was a top... 15 run producer in the second half of 2019. They can hit, but they don't really profile as an outfield. Just because you play the outfield doesn't mean you're an outfielder. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Janikowski has that defensive replacement tweener between Pilar and Almora Jr. Could hit a little bit, has a good glove. So my roster involves more both Claudio and Shreve making it to see who should stick versus Janikowski. I'm not sure your thoughts, but... That's why I think that's where the real debate about this roster is, assuming that there's no more. There's no Tony Watson or another big offensive move on uh, on the horizon in the next week or so. I, I think the longer they ho- hold on to Jankowski, that that he the more he'll get an opportunity to play on this team, because th- what I thought was it was going to be a a, a a race between um, or a battle between. Nick Plummer and Khalil Lee for that final spot. And they got rid of those guys real quick. They said, yeah, they down. wanted those guys to play every day. It looks like especially Khalil Lee and Plummer was out of here quick, you know? Yeah. And Jankowski just came out of nowhere. They signed him mid uh, spring training. You know, he's coming, he's played, he's, he's, you know, showing the leather out there in, in the outfield. Uh, he, he pr- played pretty well today. Uh, got a hit 
today, a walk today. And uh, I, I th- they need someone. I, I, you can't, how do I say this? I can't be confident in replacing my starting outfield with Dom Smith then coming in. And then you got uh, J.D. Davis coming in. Who's going to yep. play center field? You need, yeah, you if do Brandon need. Nimmo gets hurt, or if he has to yep. come out, like, and, and right. then Marte's dealing with the sore oblique. They need someone to be that fourth or fifth outfielder. I think there is like, there is something to structure every year of you know how to set up the bench, and you definitely need a backup catcher. You need that backup infielder that can play positions, which is probably going to be Luis Guillorme, and you need an outfielder. There has to be one extra outfielder and not like you said, not one that just because he's, he plays out there, he's an outfielder. Right. I I don't get that. Uh, I mean, you and I could get a glove and could play the outfield, but that doesn't mean we're outfielders. That's the whole thing. You know, just because you throw a guy, you know, Todd Hunley was an outfielder. That doesn't mean he played the play. The outfield doesn't mean he was an outfielder. Now what's interesting is that there is a 40 man roster crunch. So you right now they're at 40 men. Uh, you assume Luke Casey goes to all. That's not an assumption. He's going to go on the 60 man day, day DL. So now you have 39. You're probably going to have a Shreve make the roster. Let's say one of Claudio or Shreve because both need to be put on the roster. So let's say Shreve. So if you're going to get Janikowski on the roster, it's very likely that a Blankenhorn, a plumber will be designated for assignment off the roster, could be lost on waivers. Uh, I don't know if they maybe because they have a bunch of catchers that they brought to camp. Uh, maybe Patrick Mazika, who's on the 40 man, you could maybe sneak him through and things like that. So there is two or three spots to do that. So in your perfect world, and then we're going to take a break because I want to bring up a name that after this might be a big move that they could still make. I don't think they will, but they could still make, but your roster would be out of the 28 men. You wouldn't, I'm assuming that you wouldn't take both Claudio and Shreve North. You take Janikowski and then one of the two, or are you looking at maybe saying, hey, Reed Foley, I'll put him on waivers. I don't care about Trevor Williams, um, you know, something like that. I kind of want to hold on to Trevor Williams. I don't know how I feel to, about uh, Reed Foley right now. Uh, I would want to keep Jankowski on the bench. Uh, I think they're just going to go with one lefty. I've always been the proponent of having two lefties in the bullpen. I don't well, you know. You really why don't need do that it. now with the, with the three batter rule. You got to get guys who can get both sides out, really. That's yeah. what I guess. Yeah, you know. so it, it's definitely going to be Shreve or Claudio if they don't go after Tony Watson. Um, I don't think they – I would like Tony Watson, but I don't think they need Tony. I like Shreve. I think Shreve I, – I was disappointed when they didn't come back last year. Yeah, that was disappointing. Um, and, and I know he doesn't strike out a lot of guys. Like he, like, like, and, but you know what? Uh, and this is something that I'm going to rail about all season. Because everybody – you know, and I, I fall for it. I see, you know, 50-something innings, 45 strikeouts, and I'm like, ugh. You know what? I see guys do, you know, nine innings, 17 strikeouts, and they walk 12 guys. I can't, I can't take the walks anymore out of the bullpen. If there's the biggest thing for the games lasting so freaking long is that these relievers come in and they can't throw strikes. And look, Adam Adovino is one of them. I mean, I know it's a nice move. He's basically replacing Jerry's Familia, a better version. He can't throw. He walks four per nine. Everybody's walking three, four per nine guaranteed to get a base runner on and then, you know, anything can happen. So um, that'll be interesting. All right. We're going to take a quick break when we return. And maybe by the time this goes to air later, it'll be a moot point, but there is a former Met and a pretty big name still out there and there's zero interest in him. So I want to know from Anthony, should the Mets get involved in that person? 
You'll find out who that is and more right after this. You know, Conforto's kind of been the, the king of diamonds, Little League World Series, um, College World Series. And, you know, and as a Met, he's been an all-star. He's been a pennant winner. He was huge in the World Series. He basically has become the uh, king of queens. And kind of in free agency now, he's kind of like the, uh, the ace of many GM's hearts. And certainly we've seen from the interest level that uh, everybody's understanding that, you know, the COVID issue, what he had the first few months of the season. And I think everybody understands who, who really Michael is and, and, uh, and what he means both in leadership to teams. And frankly, the interest level has been extraordinary. Do you think he wants to be back with the Mets? Though? Is that where his heart is? I, I think that he's, you know, he's gonna, he's a free agent, and when players become free agents, they, they know where they've been. They're getting an opportunity to understand where they can go, and then they have to make that decision. All right, we're back. Mike Silva, Anthony Rivera. It is the hybrid Talking Mets Subway to Shea podcast. We've been going through a lot about the new Mets culture, the guys in camp that are standing out to us. We even did some roster building and it's all, believe it or not, Anthony, before I get to my point here, and I think everybody heard Scott Boris in the clip coming in. So you know who I'm about to talk about. This is not an overly complicated roster to figure out. It's really between a backup outfielder and a lefty reliever. I mean, assuming everybody, and I already said, I can't, I should stop. I'm violating my own rule. I hate when everybody says if they stay healthy, that's like me saying, I will make it to work. If my, I don't get a flat tire, Well, you know, I can't assume I'm going to get a flat tire. You know, you got to go. So, um, but could there be a monkey wrench in the whole thing? So, Anthony, everybody is talking about what's going on with Michael Conforto. And Scott Boris says there's all this interest. He calls him the king of queens. And I'm not anti-Conforto. I was bitterly disappointed in his 2021. But hearing some of the stories post-mortem about the Mets analytics department and, and all the stuff that came with the overemphasis of technology and pitch recognition and analytical data, knowing that he was on a walk year, still saw him play really good defense, had the hamstring injury. Both he and McNeil, I think those hamstring injuries really messed up their seasons. They were, they were bad ones. You know, I don't think Michael Conforto is going to get a four or five year deal. It doesn't look like it. Not if you're going to have to give up a draft pick on top of it. I know the Mets have problems where now they're on the cusp of that 290 in luxury tax, even though their payroll is much less. It's about AAV. And I and I don't know. I think they're still figuring out some of the rules in the CBA. If they go above that, because they'd be a super tax team, they would l- drop 10 spots down in the draft. Now, my question is, nobody knows the answer here. Payroll is not, I think, calculated for the draft until the end of the year. So uh, you won't be losing this year's pick. You might be losing next year's pick. This year's pick would hurt because you have those two early picks right after, was 11 and 14. You don't want to look. For a great player, you do what you got to do. It's a draft pick. Let's not make it out to be the NBA or the NFL. But, you know, you have the possibility that going over the 290, which would happen by even signing Conforto to a one-year deal unless you're going to dump money, which is not possible right now. So if Michael Conforto comes to – Anthony Rivera is the GM of the Mets right now. Billy Epler decides to take a leave of absence. And Scott Boris says, here, I'll give you him one year, $20 million. Would you sign him right now? 
and go over the super threshold, assuming that you'd lose that. The draft pick would, would drop 10 slots down. No, he gets one year less. He'll get one year and whatever less than the qualifying offer. He was given from the Mets this off season. He, Which was eighteen, uh, I think. So you'd give him the eighteen million, and you'd be okay. one year seventeen million, one year seventeen or lower. You'd, you'd, you'd hit him with one million less because of the qualif. You'd punish him. Yeah, because so you, you, he was offered the big. There wasn't he offered five years, one hundred and twenty from. Oh, and I think that? he looked at George Springer's contract and said, "I'm younger. I'm just as good as George Springer." Now I look at you know I brought up uh, that since twenty seventeen. Let me bring it up here because I had it up uh, since 2017. I brought up the top 25 outfielders based on war. He's number 30. Well, I went up to 50 on baseball reference. He's number 34. So he's hanging out in total war with guys like, you know, Brandon Nimmo, McNeil, who have not weren't around in 2017. Nimmo was a part-time player. Uh, Marte's better. Uh, Tommy Pham, who just signed, I think with Cincinnati is better. So he, and he's been sent down, you know, he's had Michael Conforto to me. Played a nice outfield last year. The thing about Michael Conforto's career is that I think when he came up, he had the potential to be a complete player. And we saw those in very short spurts. We saw it in the pandemic season where he went the other way and hit for average. We saw it when he was an all-star before he separated his shoulder in what, 2017 that was. Um, you know, we saw it in and out in 2019, you know, here and there. But we never saw it consistently. It seemed like he always kind of got into the pull happy Michael Conforto that would go into these deep slumps. And then to top it off, he's um, he can't hit lefties down. Now, it would require the Mets potentially a couple of different things that you have to think about why this might be necessary. First, it means that we're sold on Robinson Cano and the Mets aren't willing to eat that money. That's the money that really is holding up Michael Conforto's one year deal. I think I agree with Buck Showalter, and I've been saying all winter, you know, Cano has a value in his leadership, with the, especially with the Latino players. You know, He's a guy that I think offensively in the pandemic season, even the second half of 2019, showed he could hit. Um, you know, Do you want to just dump that salary and eat it while he goes somewhere else, maybe the Yankees, and gives them something over the next couple of years? But let's face it, early spring, I see a lot of four threes there, and that tells me his bat's slow because he's got that lungy swing that – got him into trouble the first half of 2019. So if you could find a way, and I think this is the real key, how important are those? If, if they go drop 10 slots and it's this draft, which I still don't know how they could do that. I wouldn't care if it's next year's draft, but this year's draft, um, would you sign them? I think you have to say to yourself at some point in the next week, what's JD Davis's role and or Cano. And if I had a choice, I would see if I could dump the Cano salary which is hard because no one's going to buy it. You have to basically eat it. I don't know how that helps them on the luxury tax. And that's where I think I'd slide Conforto in because then you could DH one of those outfielders and you bring back uh, Conforto and put his defense out there. And I think you become that much stronger defensively. And you're only in it for one year. You're not in it. I wouldn't give him anything more than one year. Even if he said, give me two years or I'll give you an opt out. No, Scott, one year and that's it. Does he want to rebuild himself? That, I thought he was might have took the qualifying offer, and maybe if there wasn't a lockout, his whole plot would be different. But I don't. I wonder with this draft pick situation, I don't see teams lining up, and I wonder the fact that he hasn't signed is there's something going on with the Mets? Are they holding back? Because when the Mets say there's no interest, and and usually Andy Martino is the one that's the most plugged in with that organization, just smells to me. And there's not a lot of leaks out of the Mets these days. Ever since Cohen came over, the leaks have been 
No, Max Scherzer, we didn't find out till the day before he signed. Think about that. There was no buzz behind that. You know, how do you feel if I position it to you that way that you're trading in Conforto for Cano or JD Davis? I'm going to leave Dom out of it because I don't think Dom is a guy they want to get rid of right now. I mean, I probably would trade him in for Cano. I think I don't think anyone would not do that. But uh, you're not getting rid of that. Con- you're still going to have to pay Cano, which is which is terrible. You're going to have to dump him. You're going to have so to. Well, I, would I, you? Would you? So if you don't have to lose the ten, this ten slots of the draft this year, if it's only money, do you care? Because I don't. If it's only, money. I mean, if I'm it's more money, worried. I don't care. I I'm not big on the draft and this is baseball is very different from every other sport when it comes to the draft and their players these guys don't just come up right away you really have to be that one or two slot like the Bryce Harpers where they come up you know in baseball it's so much different but this is the one draft they got six, six draft picks two in the first round this is the one draft where I don't want them losing any draft capital because we're not talking about a team that has a it's lot a big of draft. high prospects. Big draft for them. Big this draft. This is a for them big draft. Term. Replenish yep. this draft, and then we'll st- right. start talking about getting rid of draft picks the next season. Let them replenish here this year, and then we'll worry about that. But if it's just money, I I guess it, it wouldn't bother me. I don't know. I was big on Conforto staying. I've never been big on Conforto. Period. As a player on the Mets, I thought he had a really good 2020, which I thought would have given him the contract. And I was willing to give him the contract over Lindor because I thought that there would be a lo- whole lot more shortstops available come that offseason. There wasn't that much in the outfield when it came to uh, the offseason this year, although we got, you know, Marte and Canna anyway. But I-, I thought Conforto was the best out of that heading into the 2021 season. And then in his walk year, he really just drew a blank. He didn't do much. I thought he also took a step back leadership wise where people were thinking he was going to be, you know, the next captain on top of what David Wright did. And he was the captain in waiting and, and he really kind of was quiet last off season. It was always Pete Alonso talking and it was Francisco Lindor talking. You didn't hear much from Michael Conforto. And if you look at, it may be outside thinking, but look at the way he left, right? His last game at city field, he didn't really get much fanfare until that last, you know, inning. He got that big catch, and then everyone started cheering for him. And it, he didn't get that David Wright send off. He didn't get that yeah. Mike Piazza type. Just send-off. a weird career, weird career. Yeah. How he came up in fifteen. He was a big part of the offense down the stretch. Two home runs in a World Series game. Gets off to a good start in sixteen. Can't hit the side of a barn. By the way, he would have been a free agent a year earlier if he didn't get sent down that year. Got sent down in sixteen. Comes up. Has an all-star 17, shoulder falls out of its socket mid-swing, unfortunate injury, gets it fixed, comes back a little too quick, struggles, but then hits better in the back half. Seemed to be fairly who you think he'd be, 850 OPS, 25, 30 home runs, 90 RBIs in 19. And if that's the kind of guy you have, great. But um, if that's the kind of guy you have, and his defense has really been a big part, especially with his, uh, his throwing arm. He won a, I think he won more games sometimes with his defense than his bat last year. I think of the Braves win in late July, which was a big win in, in that series uh, before the Braves went on their big run. That, uh, you know, you've got Nimmo, who's an elite run. I mean, people don't realize how, if he's healthy, he's an elite. I've been saying this for four years. By the way, when people wanted to trade him for Starling Marte, I said, no way, Brandon Nimmo. 
And I, I could see very just in one game, Marte is a little bit better than maybe I gave him credit for. But still, Nimmo to me is an elite run creator. Marte gives you that speed element and can play multiple positions. And, uh, you know, maybe Canna, we'll see. You know, maybe he's just a right-handed Conforto. But uh, to me, he, he, he has a different approach than what Conforto had. So my thing is, and here's how I would put it. I think at, at some point, if he's there and he's on a platter, and the draft is not impacted this year at the 10 slots. I think the Mets should go, I, you know what, even if it was 20, you know, put him over one year, 20 million, give him a little bump, you know, whatever, you want whatever, whatever you want to do. I'd be fine with it. If it means losing Cano or J.D. Davis, I'm really not ready to give up on J.D. Davis. I think Cano is the guy that I'd be like, hey, you know what, Robbie, we're going to give you your buyout. We will release you and uh, go play for the Yankees. Because that's where yeah. he'll probably go. Uh, can you see that? If the Mets release Cano, he'll go wind up playing for the Yankees. That's probably where he'll wind up playing. Right? He might. Or he, it, What always worries me is that he winds up in our division. Like, and you're <laughs> that's paying right. him a DH to play now. in our division. He'll wind up signing with the Braves. Phillies or something. He'll hit, yeah. he'll hit 340 with the Phillies or the Braves. And then you know what, Anthony? All we'll do is he'll go back. Somebody will go on Twitter and say, look at these two dopes over <laughs> on, uh, on, uh, on their podcast who know nothing. Talking about dumping canal. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to wrap up with final thoughts, but I'm going to give Anthony an interesting comment from the great Howie Rose. And I did a little bit of now here on Talking Mets, we do very basic back of the paper bag. I do back of the paper bag math, I call it, Anthony. Nothing high level. None of us are going to get jobs in an analytics department. Ben Zosmer is not going to say, wow, that Mike Silva, I need to get him into my R&D department. No, <laughs> we do back of the paper math. We'll talk about one final thing before we wrap up right after this. And his first slider had Carlson tied up, and he went around for strike three, and DeGrom with a strikeout right out of the gate. Issue right now, and that's obviously what the Mets want to hear more than anything else. Slider gets him looking. Back-to-back strikeouts for DeGrom. Two out against DeYoung. Long hold by Jake. And he gets it in strike three call. Three strikeouts in the opening inning for Jacob DeGrom. And DeGrom Scherzer Day is off to a scintillating start. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Mike Silva, Anthony Rivera with the Somebody Shea Talking Mets podcast. All right. So Howie Rose said, Anthony, and this is how we're going to wrap up. And then you're going to tell us what you got going on. Because I actually even I have something going on this week. So um, Howie Rose said that Jacob deGrom's 2021 first half, where he had the point zero point five five whip, 1.08 ERA, got hurt July 8th, whatever, didn't pitch again, was maybe the best first half in the history of baseball and Keith Olbermann, big Mets fan, a guy who actually I've run into the few times I've been in the press box. I haven't been in the press box in a long time. Uh, mentioned some obscure old school baseball player from 1909. And I'll just throw that out. So I'm not going to get into anybody pre, you know, I could even argue I, I shouldn't get into anybody pre integration that much less dead ball era, but I did a quick baseball reference search of the top 30 pitching performance, individual performance sorted by wins above replacement on baseball reference before we came on the air. Ironically, number one, according to baseball reference, the best 
in the history of baseball season is the 1985 Doc Gooden. Next is 1972 Steve Carlton. Third is 1997 Roger Clemens. And then there's Wilbur Wood from 1971. And Pedro Martinez is 2000 is number five. Bob Gibson, the great Bob Gibson, who DeGrom was chasing with the 1.12 ERA, number six. None of those players had a first half like DeGrom. Uh, in some cases, they had second halves that maybe rivaled DeGrom. But when you look at that 0.55 whip, that you go from that, even a, a Pedro Martinez, uh, Tom Seaver, who had a couple of seasons in there, Bob Gibson in the late 60s, Sandy Koufax in 1966, and none of them really lived up to that. And I, I here's what I would say with DeGrom. I watched him pitch today. Great day with him and Scherzer. He was off today. Would you agree? Did you see the game? I don't think DeGrom was his dominant self today. He struck out guys on, and then they showed the, he struck out five guys today. Uh, all of them, 90, 91, 91, 92, 92, maybe 193. Uh, he didn't even get to 100. No. And he's striking these he's guys dialing out. Him he's, and yeah. He definitely was playing around. He's playing around with a curveball. So he was off today, and he probably shouldn't have even given up a run. Lindor should have made that play. I could I and I kept saying to myself before he hit the two home runs, Lindor. Here we go. The fans are going to call in Lindor. Yeah, I'm not going to get to that conversation. Nah, no, I thought he should have made that play too. <laughs> Ultimately, Lindor will be a great life lesson for all you in the audience. Make sure you at least go on one date before you get married, and take my advice. You should go on multiple dates and maybe live with somebody before you get married. The Mets didn't even go on a date. They just saw the profile on Match.com. Is that even a thing anymore? Match.com. We're going to go and commit to ourselves for a our lifetime because that profile looked pretty darn good. And then they click through and they're like, oh, I didn't know they had this about them. But all joking aside, the Grom shouldn't have given up a run. So let's put that. Um, my big thing about the Grom is if he is indeed going to stay healthy and pitch a full season and be who we think he can be in October, uh, I don't think you ever could live up to last year. Like, that's my thing. And I said this about Pete's rookie year, and, and, and there was a certain amount of disappointment from Pete after he came back and struggled a lot during the pandemic season until September. And I said when DeGrom won his first Cy Young, how good he was. Oh, you know, the pressure, Doc Gooden has been on this program and talked about how he'd go out and pitch a shutout but strike two out, and they would say that's a bad outing. So you got to wonder, after going through the numbers, seeing how good, you know, maybe you and I, didn't realize as good as he was, how good he really was, because you got to put him in context of history. Can he even live up to expectations? And does it matter because you have Scherzer? Because, you know, if he, if Jake goes out there, gives up six innings, two runs, strikes out five and wins, is that considered a disappointment? You know what I'm saying? Or if he, if there's more contact against him than there was last year. So how are you looking at the Grom this year? Like, it's almost like you're expecting him to give up nothing. 1.08 is one run every nine innings. Basically, every game you're going to get one run. That's not realistic to keep that up, I think, even as good as he is. And his, and his peripherals indicate that he's not a 1.08 pitcher. He's more like a 2, 220 pitcher. Let's, let's be fair there. Yeah, I don't expect him to do what he did last year, especially coming back from that injury. I think he's going to dial it back, at least especially in the beginning of the season. Obviously, we already know he's only going to pitch five innings and whatever the pitch count is for the first, uh, for opening day, uh, that they already said that he's only going to go through five innings. Uh, I think eventually he'll start ramping it up. Um, he dis- he says he disappoints himself. Every time we go through a press conference, this guy had like a, a stellar outing, and he's disappointed about something in the outing. He's a perfectionist. 
He's, he's a, perfectionist. a perfectionist. He's a student of the game. I think he'll find a way to make himself uh, better and adapt every year. And you know what helps? Max Scherzer's right there with him. Yep. Max Scherzer's been through everything in his career. And that's the perfect person to have sitting next to a Jacob deGrom and, and, you know, maybe teaching him new things that, you know, because he's, you know, basically a whole lot older than, than Jake is. And yep. having those two together, I'm sure uh, Jake watching Max on the mound is also going to feed that competition between the two. And, and that's going to make him pitch even better on that point. I think one thing that I, I look at with Jake is, I, I do feel for him that he, he thinks he's 100% healthy. You don't opt out of a contract before the season starts if you don't know for sure that you're healthy. I, I don't think he, he would do that if he, he wasn't sure that he's healthy. Like you said, right. anyone can get hurt. It, it anyone can happen can at any hurt. time. And, and look, he's, he, one of the biggest criticisms you could have, he says he got hurt swinging the bat. That's why I've always been for the DH. Me too. Uh, I'm fine with it. Does the ghost, by the way, does the ghost runner bother you? It it kind of does, but it, see, I'm very conflicted because yeah, I'm a traditionalist. But I saw what Craig Council said. Let me set this up for you before I get your opinion. Craig Council basically said, "Hey, the game has changed. We have to change with it. Every sport, NBA, has changed the rules since the peach basket days. NFL changes the rules, kickoff, the way they handle uh, penalties, all this other stuff." Uh, hockey, neutral zone trap, all that stuff, change the rules, shootouts, things like that. Those sports have continued their traditions and histories and built new ones. I feel like baseball's always been behind, behind on expanded playoffs, behind on tiebreakers. I mean, they, they used a coin flip. And I remember asking, why do we have to do a coin flip? And why do you need to have the World Series established home or road before the season's over? Well, we got to book hotels. I'm like, oh, you know what? You could find freaking hotels last minute for crying out loud. You're Major League Baseball. That was the excuse for years. But am I, is my ability to let go of tradition because I grew up with a game a certain way, holding it back so that a ghost runner gets the game? Look, think back to that Cincinnati game in July. Wasn't that a fun game? That game in extra innings? Yeah. Um, interleague, you know, now that you're going to play every interleague team next year, maybe we should just realign the divisions more geographic with the Yankees and the Red Sox. So uh, real quick, so I set it up for you. Um, you know, how do you feel? Am I, I'm, I'm interested in changing, but I'm afraid because I like, I like the, I, I feel like we're going to ruin or carnivalize a good sport that I've grown up loving for 45 years now. Yeah. I was never really a big fan of the ghost runner. I was more of a fan of the seven inning double headers whenever that would happen. I mean, double headers don't happen all too often for teams throughout a year. I know last year was like crazy because you know, you had COVID uh, with the players and then you had so many weather issues at the start of the season. It was always raining or snowing or whatever. They went to Colorado and it was like snowing over there and, and they had so many double headers to do, but I don't know. I, I'm a, like, I will not watch baseball because we have the ghost runner. I, right. I don't like it, but I'm able to adapt with it. I mean, but we need to make sure it stays out of the postseason. It's got to stay. No, out of the yeah, postseason well, has it has to be. to be in hockey. You got the shootout, right? You got the shootout yeah. in hockey during the regular season. Once you get to the postseason, they're playing like four or five overtimes if if that happens. Yeah, don't put right. that ghost runner stuff in the uh and they gotta stay away from robo umps. Like I know they're doing the technology with the the headset. Okay, if you want to play around with that, that's a choice. Fine. They really gotta stay away from robo umps. Uh, you know, I 
I, I don't know. I just, I think technology will never, at least in the near term, be where we feel good about that. What about, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I haven't seen it. I know that's in the minor leagues right now, and I haven't seen it to say, I mean, can, can they cultivate better umpires? Like, do we have to see Angel Hernandez all the time? Like, can we get new guys in here? Some like, yeah. can, can we have like a school for, uh, do they have a school for umpires? I, and just, I, I know new Quest people? Tech, yeah, Quest Tech seemed to bring some accountability, but it seems like the umpires always have had a uh, protection, except the time they were fired when, when baseball tried, basically broke, tried to break the union at that point. Um, what kind of accountability is there? Is there too much? Here's the one thing I would say, Anthony, about the game. As you talk about replay, the game is really fast. These guys are really good. They're really strong. And when I see a, a, a foot, basically, and I'm, I'm showing Anthony basically a micro inch above right here, like a micro inch, like this much up above of the plate, uh, the base. Is that really what, is that to be fair that that guy's supposed to see that with eyes and ears at the speed of sound? I mean, can't expect it right maybe we're yeah. asking too much of human beings because of how and i was watching sort of a, a clip of an uh it was actually a vid, uh, maybe a video or a photo of a 1962 mets game and the guy at the plate i don't know who it was he looked like a slow pitch softball player and i'm like that looks like a fan like today everybody even the scrubs finely chiseled specimens yeah i don't so, i don't mind where like that little inch like yeah the umpire can't see that but then the umpire also can't mess up that perfect game where that guy was clearly yep. out by a foot there has to That's be right. some repercussions or uh, something to happen where if these guys make a mistake you know you look at all the mistakes that angel Hern- I, mean, I shouldn't know any umpire's names and angel hernandez has stuck with me through 20 years of watching baseball oh, man. i shouldn't I've, know his name i've talked to players from back in the day about him and uh all I'll say is this. If you guys remember the play in 1998, right before the All-Star break, when he called uh, Michael Tucker safe on the play at home. Remember that? If you go back, there's a play in 1998, you know, Michael Tucker on a sacrifice fly. That, that was the John Franco was closing. John Franco got, he runs got right suspended because he bumped. Yeah, he, he, he runs, he's clearly out. Uh, Franco, I think, bumps an umpire. Word is... Word is that Angel Hernandez wanted to go home and catch his flight for the All-Star break. I kid you not. So I'll just leave you guys with that. So, Anthony, what do you have coming up? Uh, first of all, this has been a lot of fun, a pleasure. I know you came on the panel back in the winter, and I've been meaning to get you back on. Anthony's got a great podcast, and I think it's important for all of us in this community to support others that are doing good work because, quite honestly, when you turn on the radio, and I mean no due respect to those guys who are making a good amount of money, you're not getting good baseball talking content. And I think that there's some really good subject matter expert content going on out there. So what do you got coming up at Subway to Shea on Twitter, right? And it's uh, right. what's the podcast? And obviously risingapple.com are good partners over there at the fan sided podcasting network is where you can find your writing. You just recently wrote something about Travis Janikowski. We'll keep that in mind as we see the roster develop. So what do you got coming up as uh, we wrap up here? Yeah, with Rising Apple, I got to work on what my next uh, topic is. But you can, if you go on the About page, you find my name and you can read all of my articles. I did the Jankowski one. I actually, I think last week I did one on the 2002 Mets and how that didn't work out yes. and why that didn't work out at all. And so I'll I got tell that. you real quick, that was a bad August. That team would have been in the postseason hunt, not just a real bad August. Where did they go? Six and 21, I think. And they lost all their home games. Interrupted yeah. you, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I had no, to say no. That, that yeah. was a good one. That was yeah. an interesting season. 
Yeah, but I, if you go on the about page, you can find my name, click on it. You can get all my articles there. Uh, for Subway to Shape podcast, I'll be doing recording a show tomorrow. I got a guest on. We're, you know, we're going to go over like we did today. We'll talk about news that's happening throughout the week. Obviously, Jack, uh, Jake and Max are going to be the big talk of the town. But this guy has a uh, he, he talks fantasy baseball. I want to, you know, get into some of these Mets that, you know, I know a lot of people play fantasy baseball. So I want to get I have a draft this week thinking. Yeah. yeah yep. So I, I I haven't done anything on fantasy baseball yet. So I thought I'd bring that in. And, you know, you always got to think of new ways right. to, you know, keep keep the podcast growing and flowing and uh, you know, doing things like this where, you know, we can you know, converge together other podcasts. Uh, I'm always looking to, you know, get other podcasts on as well. And I got to have you on again. I know we did it really early on in the season, but I'm always about a year ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always like doing this. It's, it's, it's great to, you know, build this community, like you said, and and it's, it's been a fun, fun time for me. I, I appreciate you having me on again. And I'll tell you one thing, as we wrap up, I always wind up drafting less Mets and fantasy because I feel like I'm biased on that. And I wind up screwing myself. So that'll yeah, you be go what you like, man. There you go. All right, Anthony. Thanks a lot, my friend. Be Thank well. You. Thanks for joining us today. Anthony Rivera, Subway to Shape podcast. I want to thank him. Of course, you can check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And guys, check me out. Half Street High Heat later this week. A Nationals podcast. They're going to have me on. So stay tuned for that. Go to at half ST High Heat on Twitter. You can check me out at at Mike Silva Media. I'll give you more updates on my appearance on a competitive podcast. Until next time, be well and take care. Be well, everybody.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.